0: The VR Report Podcast with David Gino. What's up, Ben? How's it going, man?
1: Hey buddy, how you doing?
0: Good, good, good. Hey, so um, you know, for those that don't know you, you wanna give a little intro about who you are?
1: Sure, sure. Um so my name is Ben Hoyt. Um I uh I'm a video game and inner what I would call interactive content producer. Um, I started out in the video game industry in uh, Really, about 2003, uh, making games for PlayStation 2 and Xbox. And uh, uh, since then, I've just kind of, I like to describe it as sort of surfing along the wave of emerging technology and uh, have sort of found myself, uh, as things started to shift and transition in the industry, um, developing or managing the development of projects. for mobile and then um location based and immersive experiences um a r and v r and um even most recently some stuff in this sort of web three and blockchain space so um yeah as a as a producer I'm a project manager um I'm responsible for Uh, depending upon, you know, the role in the company, really sort of ultimately the execution and delivery of the project. And that usually involves a lot of things like um, scheduling and um, task management and, uh, you know, really just sort of the process around um, building things and uh, managing teams usually of artists, designers, programmers, testers, audio engineers, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, and, and for those that don't know, the role of a game producer is pretty much the the man behind the scenes or the woman behind the scenes in terms of understanding you know what resources are needed to finish a project, managing the budget, managing the timeline. There's a lot of stress involved for being a game producer. Why did you choose that field, and how that even happened? I even don't even know that yes. origin story for you.
1: That's a that's a funny question. So uh, when I got out of college, I was working for a company that was sort of building. Long story short. Um, tech that was sort of games industry adjacent so they were making tech that was intended to be um sold to game developers and i uh, found myself doing a lot of sort of um, business development type of work for them and that involved putting together an advisory board of um, games industry professionals um, to sort of advise on the company's products and strategy and stuff And uh, that was a startup company. It was uh, ahead of its time in a number of ways. And ultimately went out of business in 2003 and um, I had to figure out what I was going to do next. And I'm a lifelong hardcore gamer um, and nerd started doing that process of creating those relationships with people in the games industry. I realized like, oh my God, there's like a whole industry of people making video games. Like that's an actual career, which like was not as obvious of a thing back then as as it probably is now. And um, nor were there as many well-established avenues for getting started in games. And uh, so I I sat down with one of those contacts who I built that relationship with. And I was like, I'm I'm really excited about getting into games. I don't really know what I should be doing. I'm clearly not an artist. I I don't know how to code. Um, Like, what, what opportunities do you think there are? And he was like, well, don't try to be a designer first because that's what everybody thinks they want to be. And so it's very crowded and, and busy space. Um, but uh, you you would probably make a good producer. So I think you should look at that. So I, I really started looking into game production at that point on the advice of a friend. But the truth is, um, it is actually a, a, a role that I think is really, um, my personality is really well suited for. Um, the game producer is in many respects uh the person who has to speak everybody else's language right like you have to understand if you want to be effective you have to understand how all of these pieces come together in a game and and i believe that games are the ultimate sort of cross-functional um type of project right you you have these disciplines like art game design functionality design you know programming software development audio, music, voice, voice recording, like all these completely different um, disciplines that fit together in the making of a game. And somebody has to sit at the middle and understand what all those people need to do in the course of their job when they need to do it, what they need in order to do it and how to fit all those things together um, and, ultimately be able to deliver something that's cohesive as a whole at the end of it and as a person who i think well i bumped my table sorry if you see the camera shake yeah i see Um, as a person who um i think is a generalist by nature and sort of a jack-of-all-trades type of personality um (laughs) producing is like a really natural fit for me and it's something that i i find sort of stimulating because every project is sort of its own puzzle that you have to figure out how to solve uh, based on its unique challenges and resources and goals.
0: Yeah. You've worked with uh, a wide range of different gaming platforms for mobile console, PC. Uh, I know you, you know, I, I think I met you when you were working on Star Trek Yeah, and, yeah. you know, you know, it. you have to, you have to basically manage all these other disciplines, like you said, but What are the main differences from being a game producer on traditional platforms or I guess like, you know, uh, the current gen platforms versus VR today? And well, actually let's step step back, let's talk about your, your VR projects today and how you got into VR.
1: Sure. Um, you know, I, I got into VR, uh, originally as an enthusiast and I would say that I have more actual production experience with AR than with VR in terms of the projects that I've managed. Um and that started really around i want to say about 2014 when um you know the um first vive was uh still not available for purchase i got very fortunate i went to a unity um uh conference event here in la and um happened to win a raffle where i got to take home a vive dev kit from the um from the uh from the conference and that was the first headset that I had. And um, I had a lot of fun. I remember back in like 2015, 2016, being like the guy who had the VR headset and like having people <laughs> over to my place and be like, you guys, gotta check this out. It's going to blow your freaking mind. And like, you know, like I've got a whole fo- uh, folder full of videos of like other people doing VR for the first time, you know, <laughs> as they like stumble around my living room and um, and experience it. Um, and so, you know, right around that time, I was working for a company in, um, what we would call the location-based experience space, which is to say, you know, building digital content that is intended to be experienced out of the home in some place that you have to go to. And, um, as you can imagine, particularly right around that time, VR became a really interesting technology for that kind of a company, right? Because that's like, oh, maybe we'll um you know if a lot of their work had been creating museum exhibits or um trade show exhibitry or something like that like vr becomes an interesting tool in the tool belt for those kinds of projects and so i did a, a very early project that was basically like a um a 360 video vr project uh pre-rendered type of thing which um like nobody's really doing that anymore for mostly good reasons um and uh and then from there like as a producer and uh, professionally, most of my work shifted to AR. Um, I, uh, my, the next job I had after that was with a company that was doing a lot of sort of computer vision related work for Crayola. So um, Crayola actually, I think was a really interesting um, partner for them because like you know, AR, in my opinion, on mobile devices is largely gimmicky, right? Like, I, like, like, there's just nobody who wants to really spend much time going around the world, like holding up their phone in front of themselves and trying to look at the world through their phone. Um, but uh, for Crayola, there were some really clever things that you could do. Like if you can imagine a coloring book for children um, where uh, there are markers on the page so that if you have an app, you can basically scan that kid's original creative work into the app and then wrap that drawing around a model and basically allow kids to like create their own custom designs for superheroes and Disney characters and stuff like that out of their coloring books. That was what they did first. And then the last app that I did while I was at that job was actually basically a kid's version. It was called Crayola Funny Faces, and it was like a kid's version of like a Snapchat filter. So um, same basic concept, except you remember those like threefold books, coloring books that we, you got back in the day where you could like pick the eyes from the monkey, but the nose from the pig and the mouth from the insect or something like that. So you could do that and then you could color them and then you could scan whatever that custom creation was. And then it would pull individual assets off of that. And it would turn them into like a live AR filter. So you could then like hold that up your phone up and like film your friend, you know, with your little custom mask on that you'd created for them. So that was, um, one of the projects that I did that was like AR based. And, and then right around that time, I also, um, started working with a friend, someone who, you know, actually, I think Sean McGowan from Mm -hmm. Nerd poker on, um, a uh a vr based um competition tv show concept um and i can't get too much into the details of that but that's really one of the other vr projects that like here it's funny enough coincidentally here we are like five years later it's just tells you how things go. The pandemic didn't help, but like right now we're in the process of getting like a big studio space and um, up at CBS Radford and we're in the, you know, we're getting ready to start shooting some test footage and potentially see that project start to really come to fruition. But like that's Hollywood, right? It's like you're in pre-production, you're in development for five years, trying to get something together. But um, excitingly, I think that the tech has caught up with the concept at this point and um, fingers crossed we should be, seeing something cool coming out of that soon so
0: uh yeah that's really cool i think um location-based vr i mean there's a lot of companies that early on that were doing really great like yeah. for example the void right they did the ghostbusters experience where they would actually melt marshmallows or actually have that scent come to you and you're yeah. actually having uh you know you're actually fighting uh, uh that marshmallow character and he would melt uh they would use fans to simulate wind so it was actually a a real immersive experience physically as well as with VR. Yeah. And then you've got different, you know, avenues like Sandbox that are doing it really well. It's like you reserve a time and you go in like a little theme park and then you experience virtual reality with a bunch of people and they yeah. make it very social. And, you know, I always thought like, social or, or location-based VR would be a lot bigger. I would have, I would have thought like all the theme parks would have incorporated. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's fair to say that. And like, I'm, I'm um, buddies with um, the guys at two bit circus downtown who I love those um, guys. Yeah. yeah let's
0: talk about two bit Circus because They have a yeah. really unique, unique history. Yeah.
1: I, I had the, I had the pleasure of working with them back before they became focused on the sort of, um, what do they call the Micro amusement parks that they're doing now, which I think are fantastic. Um, and I think a really great example of how to kind of like do this sort of next gen location-based entertainment. Right. Um, I'm a big fan. Um, and so I was like very, uh, focused on that sort of location-based VR space back then. And I think it's really fair to say that there's like no, I can't think of a sort of market or industry that is, they got more thoroughly screwed by the pandemic than location-based VR, right? Like, you know, here we are, it's like out of home social, and you have to put this thing on your face that someone else has just been wearing on their face. Like, that's like, it's just a, the pandemic is just like, well, that's the end of that business for a while, you know? And so I think that anybody who survived that and um, kudos to the ones who did, uh, you know, is now sort of, I I, I don't know a lot about exactly where that market is, but like, I think they're playing catch up from having um, really been hobbled by the pandemic, which is unfortunate, but um, I agree. I think that particularly for um, VR initiates, like people who've never done VR before and and before the quest was really available as like a compelling six degree of freedom, um, VR untethered home consumer device, like location-based was like the most effective way to try and get the public introduced to vr for the first time um and i still think it has um a a valuable role to play there but if you think about it there are some things that make vr let's just say problematic or challenging as a like location-based experience right it's um expensive hardware that you can't it isn't self-contained like a, like an arcade cabinet does, right? Like you can put an arcade cabinet in a bar or an arcade and walk away and people will put quarters in and they'll play because there's not really much they're going to do. Sure. That it's going to get damaged. Occasionally you'll have to service it, but it doesn't have like controllers that can be stolen. It doesn't have like headsets that people have to figure out how to put on and take off and like how to start experiences and stuff. So like those challenges, I think really have, there aren't, good solutions to this. Like, the, like the, there aren't easy fixes. And so that means you have to have attendance, um, you know, to keep an eye on the hardware and to help people in and out. So your costs go up. So it can't be super cheap and easy. Um, and so, you know, I I love location-based VR and the stuff that the, like the void was able to do. I think that that's the right path, right. Is you, if you're going to, if it's going to continue to work, especially now that there are much more cost-effective um, home VR solutions available, what ha- what's going to be available out of the home has to continue to be something that you can't get at home. Right. And so like the stuff the void was doing in terms of incorporating smell and locomotion and big spaces and warehouse scale and stuff like that are all important um, for the long-term out of home market, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, you're really close to Hollywood cause you're based in LA and uh, we have some of the same friends that are in the industry. Yeah what do you think the appetite is for Hollywood today in terms of adopting VR? I mean, we saw some of the same things where Disney was utilizing like the unreal engine and incorporate, incorporating VR headsets to review set designs. Um, what, what else have you been seeing? That's pretty cool and innovative around Hollywood and the use of XR.
1: So, you know, I think that um, Hollywood, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, is most of which are entirely valid is a um, film and storytelling focused town, right? Um, and so uh, I think that you're likely to see that. So you, you touched on something that I think is a really significant related piece of this, which is what we what they call virtual production, right? And and virtual production is. Um, uh, this process of using XR technologies and game technologies uh, in the making of films. And that is um, only going to continue to become a bigger and bigger piece of uh, the film business, right? Like, like I remember when I was at Paramount in 2008, 2009, I was working with um, bad robot on that Star Trek project. There was a a really um, forward thinking, talented art director there by the name of Brandon Fayette. And, brandon was already in like 08 and 09 sort of banging the drum around like we should be using game engines to make digital films because the um power and versatility of those engines was already really apparent i think the the engines have only gotten more powerful and during that time hollywood has finally started to wake up to that and now here you are 10 to 15 years later and and unreal and in particular is being used all over the place and the and the hollywood film producers are all scrambling to kind of educate themselves about these tools and um and the pipelines that they involve um and there's definitely some exciting stuff you can do with vr in fact that project that i mentioned that um i'm working on in with the tv show is in many respects a proof of concept for a of entirely new virtual production pipeline that this company that we're working with on on that project is um uh is developing and that uses uh vr in some pretty exciting ways um but that's all on the sort of behind the camera filmmaking side of things right as for like consumer vr experiences i think they remain sort of a, a gimmick or an afterthought from a Hollywood person's perspective. Um, and that's understandable both because they're filmmakers and they're interested in making films and linear narratives, but also because um, the market for VR is still really pretty small by comparison to, you know, film, or certainly to the bigger games market. Um, and so I think that you'll see sort of, Promotional experiences, you know, like things that are like, oh, at the mall, there's like a pop up and you can do like a cool 10 minute experience based off of this upcoming film or something like that is like largely where you're going to see that stuff um, for the foreseeable near future from a sort of consumer perspective. And then you know, you'll probably also begin to see like, there's a fair amount of like Star Wars VR games and content that are out there. Um, And so you'll see other stuff that's based off of big franchises that have that sort of like evergreen year round content uh, pipeline for them and stuff, but they'll still be smaller in, in their significance, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally does. In terms of going back to like production pipeline and, and trying to figure out new ways to just basically be more effective, Right. You got to be, you know, uh, more cheaper right? yeah, yeah. and and and, and, and uh, probably, a, you know, a, a better tool that you can currently use today. Where do you think like, you know, bringing up the, the subject of Apple Vision Pro, Apple Vision Pro now 4K uh, resolution. Each eye has a hand tracking that's really usable and, and that's really accurate from from most accounts uh, and also uh, with eye tracking. How do you see this new type of technology with Apple? What? Apple's basically was, was great to cobble up all the great stuff together and just make a really high end headset that no one thought would be, uh, a, you know, something that the consumers had wanted, but they said, no, 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 we're Apple. This is a dev kit. We're making the best quality headset for developers. And of course it'll, it'll scale down when it's ready for mass market. Yeah. Where do you see some of those features really helping that production pipeline? Let's just take film, for example, because I I can think of a lot of cool ideas. I'd love to hear some of yours.
1: Um, You mean in terms of the, the, production of film or in the, in the, in the experience of film?
0: Yeah. So, so I'll give you an example, like hand tracking, I think is pretty cool because we're now at the state where everyone envisions hand tracking what they think of minority reports, something very accurate, just being able to like edit on the fly, be able to get to different scenes and be fully immersed in that scene. Right. Uh, And I I think editing would be something that I think is going to be very unique in the headset because it's 4k resolution. Like I said, uh, I think that in and also being able to be, you know, very tactile and, and almost uh more interactive with with uh even 2D film content. Uh I think visualization, um, being able to then do uh, when you're reviewing like unreal set designs, right? To be able to collaborate in that in, in that same headset and see each other and also see the outside world. I think that's also something that Apple's gonna bring to the table with those features that they have, with those cameras pointing outwards. And I think um, in just in terms of um, just general comfort from what I hear, I think, you know, people, especially in Hollywood, if you're talking about set designers or directors or producers, they're kind of like allergic to headsets, you know, from what I've heard because, A, it seems very foreign and now you've got controllers in their hand and they don't know if they can read the room and that's really what, you know, the whole collaborative creative process is about. What are some of your predictions in terms of the pipeline itself and using VR or specifically Apple headset? Yeah,
1: sure. Uh, So, I mean, I would say, and I I say this sort of as a disclaimer, I would say, first of all, I haven't worn an Apple vision pro. And um, so I I haven't experienced it. So I'm kind of taking as a given a lot of the sort of generally understood things I've heard about it, um, which include that it's like very, very satisfyingly high resolution and that the, that the hand tracking, and the sort of user experience related to the hand tracking is very comfortable and very intuitive. All of that seems to make sense to me, so it's it's easy for me to assume that that's true. Um, I don't know that I think, and, and again, I could absolutely be wrong with this, but nothing there's nothing that jumps out to me about the Apple Vision Pro specifically that says, oh, this is gonna be game-changing for the the craft of filmmaking. One thing, however, and, and using Apple Vision Pro as just an example of a VR headset, um, one thing that I think is really uh, um, interesting about that is that if you look at sort of um, this concept of virtual production in Hollywood, um, the the example, the one of the big examples that people like to look at is The Mandalorian, right? Because that, that's one of the big um, shows that's made this way. And the way they do it is they use the unreal engine to render this high detail, beautiful, um, scene. And then they display that, they push that to a huge, huge, super high resolution LCD screen that's on Mm the stage where everybody is acting. Right. And, um, that's called a volume. And, um, that clearly works pretty well. It delivers some good results. Um, but it has downsides to it. There are a number of um, compromises and limitations that you have to make in in the process of doing that. There's just like so many sort of solutions. There are pros and cons, right? Um, one of the things that I've heard from actors who have been on the other side of that experience is that it can actually be fairly disorienting. Because the scene that is being rendered on the backdrop behind them or around them is constantly updating based on the position of the camera. So if you can imagine, right, like um, that can create like a pretty d- d- disorienting experience if um, the camera is say getting closer and further and stuff. And so the screen is changing the sort of aspect focal, you know, optical elements that it's rendering. And you're just standing still in the middle of it as an actor, right? Um, especially if big camera movements are happening and stuff. So. Um, that's one thing. Another is, you know, if you think about it, you can capture a a real life person standing on a stage, and you can capture the background that's behind them. But if there's something digital in between, that's like, say, in front of them, that would be occluding the camera, or um, that you want them to be interacting with, that you're going to have to add as a special effect later on, they can't see that thing, right? They can't necessarily interact with it for real, because it's not actually in the room, and you can't Make it be in the room on a flat screen, effectively, that's behind them, right? So there are um, some of these limitations, never mind the cost associated with these huge volumes. The, uh, The ability to be able to put your cameraman, your director into a headset that allows them to, in real time, see everything that is supposed to be in that scene and then move around as if they're in the scene. Um, is something that I think uh, is really powerful. I believe that was already done, like on, uh, I think John Favreau is supposed to be a fan of this and has done it on films like the new Lion King movie. Um, the thing that I think is going to be really interesting, and, and it's what this company that we've been working with on this TV show is really pioneering, is the ability to put the actors in the headset, right? Cool. And, and what you're, you know, one of the things that Apple Vision Pro did show off that I think is still early but is already powerful and compelling is this ability to um, see a person who's in a headset without seeing the headset right that that sort of head replacement technology where they scan your face and they track your eyes and they can track a bit of your 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 face that's inside the headset and then they can basically create a 3d model of your head that when everybody's seeing you in a zoom call or whatever, it looks like they're talking to you. And in fact, you've got an AVP over your face, right? That same technology as it continues to improve theoretically allows you to then put your actors into the same digital scene that, um, that is being, that they're going to supposed to be taking place in. And then all of a sudden, if they're standing on a, volcano's edge and there's stuff flying all around them, like they're seeing that they can interact with that for real or in a much more realistic way. Um, I think that tech is coming and I think that will um, be exciting when, when Hollywood starts to use it because this, this volume based approach that they're doing now feels to me like a stepping stone in in this sort of uh, virtual production path that that they're on right now, and it may always have a role. Like one of the things that somebody pointed out that was really cool is that like you look at the Mandalorian. One of the things that if you were to try and just film the Mandalorian and then just do all of the background in CG after the fact in post, um, you would have to spend a tremendous amount of time and energy trying to accurately recreate all of the reflections on that suit of, you know, polished chrome armor that he's wearing. But if you put that same actor in a volume where the whole scene is being rendered anyway, you get all of that for free, right? Because all those reflections are actually sort of much more realistic or, or, or close to it. So um, there are certainly long-term use cases for volumes, but I think that there's going to be other, Tech that that comes along from a virtual production perspective that can leverage some of the features that you see in Apple Vision Pro to really enable some really cool stuff that isn't really being done yet.
0: Yeah, I, I just thought of this now, but I think you're absolutely right. And this whole hubbub regarding, you know, the the writer strike right now, you know, Hollywood's all about it's a corporation, like it's about cheaper, faster, better, mm-hmm. and. If you incorporate VR, it, it does all of those things because, yeah. you know, that's that's the whole concept of Apple's persona where they're actually mapping your face and you're getting the eye track. It's still early days, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you know what's going to get better where it can, can actually replace actors if they wear the headset. You know the facial models. You know, you, you have a, a, a you know 360 3D camera to understand where you are relative to, to the position of the actor and, and the camera. Uh, it's, it is it is going to be easy to replace that person's face, right, even right. if they're wearing a headset. Yeah. And then they can also interact, like you said, with those uh non-physical objects all in headset that's yeah. gonna be crazy yeah.
1: man to so gonna cool, be cool. <laughs> it's gonna be cool i mean obviously the you know i think that the strike underscores the extent to which that is threatening to actors right like if you say oh we don't need actors anymore and then actors are going to be understandably like whoa 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 that doesn't sound right especially if you're still using an actor's likeness and voice and stuff to drive a digital actor um i fully empathize with and support the actors in saying like, yo, you, you know, I mean, if you're going to use my likeness, even if I'm not doing the work, I still need to be getting paid for that, you know? Um, so I think that these business issues need to get resolved, obviously, in order for all of this to, to shake out. And AI is only another piece of that puzzle that, um, that is important to, to anticipate and, and properly, um, plan, plan around, I think, because it's, you know, w- like it or not we are not far from a future where um in reality the actors can be replaced technically and so then what does that mean for for the entire industry and the craft and even if even if you i don't mean to say that cavalierly right like i do think that there's um it's probably going to be very hard to get consistent performances out of AI driven digital actors that are as good as what you can get from a truly talented actor today. Right. Um, But, you know, even if you assume that that means, Oh, well, they can just replace background actors or they can just replace the actor. And, you know, when they're at a distance and not for close-up shots and stuff like that, there still are important questions that need to be answered around like what that means um, for, you know, for the industry as a whole, you know,
0: what are you excited about regarding Apple's announcement in their headset? What has Ben Hoyt looking forward to?
1: Well, I, I'm excited. I mean, first of all, I'm excited to get my hands on it because it um, It just looks like it's a, a really, you know, one of the things that um, I, ha- I think has been an ongoing challenge for me at the end of the day when it comes to VR as an enthusiast and as a person who owns a headset is that there is still what I would describe as a high degree of friction Around um getting in and out of the headset, and um that's a combination of uh software user experience design that it you know is at times not where it ought to be, as well as limitations of the hardware in terms of um how difficult they are to get into and then set up your trackable space and like be off to the races in and like even myself as an enthusiast when I get it done with my work at the end of the week and it's Friday night and I'm going to do something recreationally, like I don't tend to put on my VR headset. I tend to play PC video games and stuff like that. And and a lot of that comes down to like me just being like, Oh, I don't know. It just seems like it's going to be a hassle to get in and get it all booted up and be really off to the races. Um, and it's also a hassle. Like if like I got two kids and like, I got to hop up and go, you know, take care of something in the other room, getting in and out of It's just like, it's like, nah, I'll just play something on my computer to their credit i think that's exactly what apple focused on more than anything else right like apple so many of the cool improvements and features that they um showed off uh when they announced the avp um were these sort of uh quality of life um and ease of use types of issues i i am not sold the one thing where i have the most reservation about their headset is on the comfort side because it looks like um there's I don't know. It just doesn't look like it. I think for a, for a VR headset to be compelling, either for the two use cases where it really has the most long term value, and that's either gaming or productivity, it needs to be practical and comfortable to wear it for hours and hours, right? Four to eight hours a day, um, you know, several hours in a sitting. So that brings the question: battery life, weight, comfort. And so I think they've probably made a lot of progress on that. I would be surprised if they've entirely solved those issues. Um, but but once those, let's just assume for a minute that there's this fantasy headset that is so light and comfortable and free of battery issues that it doesn't need to be tethered and you can wear it for the better part of your workday. Um, then all of a sudden, long gaming sessions or being able to use it in lieu of a traditional workstation start to become really interesting and one of the things that i think they did or that it sounds like they've done that is a key piece of that is the screen resolution issue because um i'm not interested like if i'm going to sit down and watch a blockbuster movie and i have the option of watching it on my big 60 inch 4k tv at home or in a headset it doesn't matter that i can blow it up to the size of a movie screen and my headset, if that's just going to cause it to pixelate and I'm going to see the effective resolution of watching it on my parents' TV from the 1980s, right? Like Mm -hmm. it needs to have, those screens need to have enough resolution to really still make that a satisfying experience. And then on the productivity side, something that I never have yet experienced with a, a a commercial grade headset is a resolution that's good enough that like it's not going to cause me eye strain to spend my entire day reading and writing emails and reading articles and stuff because text is super crisp and clear solve those problems which it sounds like they may have done um and now we're one big step closer to being able to say like okay great i don't need these two monitors on my desk anymore because i can just sit down and put on a headset and uh work inside of the headset um Still, there's some comfort and battery life issues, but if the resolution's been solved, that's a big step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, when I when I worked at the first Meta, uh, and also at the second, I would I would talk to a lot of enterprise companies, find you know, trying to really figure out what their biggest problems were that a VR headset can solve, right? You're right. constantly trying to ask those questions and figure out, hey, where is that where is that innovation that we can do to actually make this really sticky for a specific use case or a niche. And believe it or not, you know, after talking to companies like boeing boeing b m w like Nike, you know these huge corporations that are trying to figure out ways to use technology to be faster better cheaper. They, a lot of it just came down to like, Hey, we just want bigger visualization capabilities and, you know, we save money on multiple displays, yeah, you know, yeah. you had, you know, and, and that always boggled my mind. Like it could do so much more, but really at the end of the day that that's where some of the biggest use cases were, because, Hey, we can actually, you know, formulate how much faster people will be working, how much more productive they are when we actually put two or three screens on their, yeah, on yeah, their desk. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's that's like kind of a cop out too, because I, I don't think we've been there yet where people are, are going to want to wear these headsets like you said all day. And I think that the weight is going to be a factor. But let's just say they figure that out, or with that additional strap that they didn't show, really balance that out. Like, do you see yourself wearing it all day now? So the mm-hmm. other
1: the other big factor, which I think to again to the to Apple's credit, where they clearly spent a lot of effort, is on presence right and and by that i mean this um you know i think it's very telling that like apple all their demos in the reveal of the headset really focus on it as an ar device and not as a vr device right that like they really want it to feel like something that isn't taking you out of your space and just as importantly that isn't making you overly um i don't know for lack of a better term weird within your space to other people. Now, do I think they've succeeded in solving that? I haven't seen one in person, so I'm gonna withhold judgment. But like, from what I can tell, like you don't wanna be the one guy in the room wearing an Apple Vision Pro headset, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like, I would not wear that to a party. Like, you're not gonna be the, you don't wanna be the like, you know, guy in the room who's wearing that while everybody else isn't wearing one. But it feels like they have taken some steps in that direction that are significant. And like, um, I, I think they, they again sort of show a potential path forward or at least, you know, significant improvements versus, um, you know, it it certainly seems like it's hopefully probably better than being the guy in the room wearing a quest Two or a magic leap or something like that, you know? So, um, like, I think that that was really smart and understandable for a company like Apple that ultimately, you know selling a few million Apple Vision Pros is not going to constitute success for Apple with this product now would that be successful for v1 probably that would be successful but like th- they need to be building a product that down the line has got billion unit potential right and and that means that it needs to be you know, the cost is going to have to come down. Apple products are always expensive, so it's not going to have to come down to Quest levels. But I think if they can get it down to, you know, $1,000, then you're like where Apple's VR headset ought to be. But um, it's still it, it still needs to appeal to a huge market of users. Um, who right now I think would not be very interested by certainly a traditional VR headset or probably by the Apple vision pro price, notwithstanding. So I'm really fascinated to see what it looks like when someone's wearing it, but like this sort of, um, I don't know what to call it, sort of like snorkel face version that you have of it. Um, Like maybe I want to see what it looks like, but I I don't think it's quite there yet, but um, you know, there's probably a, 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 a hardware roadmap where things keep getting better and better you know
0: yeah that's right and i think you know we we still haven't been in any office meetings where someone is wearing a quest and right. or a Hololens, lens no. right so but
1: what would be interesting is like an office meeting where everyone's wearing a quest right like that's a that's yeah. a reality we what's interesting to me is that that's entirely doable now right um and it still isn't happening <laughs> nobody's it's still not yet,
0: happening right? yeah
1: um and and i don't know if it's because look man at the end of the day this sort of flat You know 2d interaction that you and i are having right now is kind of good enough and so like trying to push it much further is like diminishing marginal returns um or if there's other factors that need to get resolved because i will tell you that you know i remember the first time i played arizona sunshine in vr um and like i was at a um a vr location-based arcade place with a friend colleague actually i was in a pod she was in a pod on the other side of the arcade but when we put on those headsets, we were like back to back up against the truck trying to kill zombies. And it was really a powerful experience as a gamer. You're like, this is freaking rad. Like, I, I want to play that more. Like, I want to do that with my buddies, you know. So I do think there is something really powerful that VR um, can already deliver in terms of that location presence thing. Um, but the friction around using it is still so high and the fidelity of the experience is still so low that it doesn't rise to the level of like us saying like, great, I'm okay, Dave, let's go do your podcast in VR. And like, I'll be sitting on a couch across from you and we'll be talking just like we would be if we were on stage somewhere or, you know, on a talk show or something like that. Like, would that be better? Yes. Are we there yet? No. Um, But like, I, I hope that that comes because I do think, you know, especially now post pandemic with the extent to which remote work has become the norm, um, at least in certain industries, I think that uh anything that makes that more like being in the same space with your team uh as possible has value, right? because like, because that is one of the big trade offs and the things that you lose in a remote work environment is that sense of like, Hey, we're all here together. Let's get in the conference room and whiteboard some ideas and stuff. Um, but there's a lot of real practical reasons why that's difficult to execute even with the best VR, you know?
0: I th- I think that's totally right. I think um, remote work now, <clears throat> it, you know, I used to think that it was going to be a fad, like, Hey, we're going to go back to work. Like we're so much more productive, but Actually, I think that's the inverse now. People like working from home because it's just more convenient, especially if they like, you might have a family. Uh, you may even be more productive because you can choose your own hours. I, I tend to be. Um, but at the same time, you know, you lose that human connection and human touch. And you touched upon something that I just thought of too. It's like, well, Apple, they could have really had uh, a really clear spotlight to really showcase a, a use case that they know like, oh, I do want this. And I kind of felt like oh, they didn't really They didn't do that this time around, Mm -hmm. like that one thing. And, you know, they have Keynote, right? They have this whole persona thing. And it's like, wow, couldn't they have reinvented like Keynote? like with, with XR, right? Like you can imagine you presenting, it presents your persona. You could point at different models that you could bring in. You could do all the text swipes, but it almost feels like an interactive I and mean, it could just be spit out like a 2D video. Imagine like yeah. you have your own production studio in headset yeah. that you can now have the ultimate presentation. And they didn't show that. Like yeah. what what do you think are things that if you're talking to the team right now, what do they need to do to like up level their game?
1: Well. Uh I think that's a great idea. Um I I think that that would be really cool. I uh I guess they did show a few things that seemed really cool to me. Like I, and and I think one of them is not gotten as much attention as it will once the hardware gets into more people's hands. But the, the, the so I'll tell you the three things. The first was just movie watching, right? Like if the resolution is good enough that I can have the experience of watching a 100 foot screen at home and not be losing visual fidelity in a way that i notice um that's dramatic in terms of its implications for the home entertainment center right like like that's potentially very exciting secondly especially if i can do that by twisting a dial and all of a sudden i'm doing it out in the woods or i'm doing it at a you know in a in in a movie theater like whatever kind of cool spaces that they create the second one which is a very very niche application it doesn't warrant a $3,200 expense, but like, it is something that I have long wanted without realizing it. And I'm very excited that this is coming. I'm going to be doing more of this between now and then is simply the ability to really re-experience my panoramic photos, right? Like I'm the kind of nerd who used to take, who has always taken panos because like, I just love a good Vista, but like there's not a great way to experience it. Like I've got a dual monitor set up here. It's probably the best thing I've been able to do is like make some of them my wallpaper. And I can see some of those panels, you know, stretch across my desktop. Um, it's, It's okay to look at it on your phone, but it certainly doesn't come close to really, you know, taking you back to where you were when you took that shot. I've heard that panoramic photos look, freaking amazing in an apple vision pro and i can imagine Mm -hmm. that to be true and i'm super excited to try that and i'm probably going to be taking more panos moving forward in the expectation that sooner or later it's going to be possible for me to experience them that way which makes me wonder if there isn't already a way to do that on a quest i don't actually know i haven't heard about it but i would i mean there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to except for screen resolution so I, I, i it's probably out there um the other thing, though, and the third thing that I think is like really hard for most people to appreciate and properly envision, but which if you if you know what it is and how it works, you can kind of go like, holy crap! I can imagine that being really incredible. Is volumetric video, right? Hmm. So, um, I, I, in case your audience doesn't already know, volumetric video is, um, video where you're capturing something, but you're capturing the full three dimensionality of it. And that means that it, when you play it back, instead of looking on it on it on a flat surface, you can at least to some extent move around it and, um, and like see it in 3D in the space that you're in. I've heard again from people who saw the demo or from articles that I read from people who saw the demo um, when AVP was revealed that like, this is actually one of the things that's really incredible about what this headset can do. um, That obviously there's no way for you to get a sense of that until you're in the headset with it. Um, But like I have done volumetric video using other solutions previously and Um, It's always there, there are some major technical challenges associated with it that I'm curious to hear how they've resolved. Like one of them is that the way that it's captured is usually using what's called a point cloud, which is basically like if you can imagine a set of three dimensional pixels that are then captured in 3D space and the resolution on most of those things that I've seen has been, you know, noticeably not real you know Um, I've heard that the AVP capture is shockingly high resolution and really good which is exciting the other thing that um, volumetric video capture struggles with though is what's called occlusion so um, that's when something blocks the camera's view right so obviously there's only a handful of cameras in a relatively one place on an AVP headset so It's hard for me to imagine that they can really completely solve this occlusion problem, which means that, you know, say I'm looking at this, this soda right here with my AVP headset, like I'm going to get a really beautiful perspective of what I'm looking at. But if I then take walk around behind that, it's just going to be empty because the camera had no way of capturing that. Um I can't imagine how they would possibly solve that. So I think that that means that the level of movement that you'll have in what they're capturing is still going to be fairly constrained, but that doesn't mean it won't still be really exciting to see compared to traditional 2D camera captures that we're all familiar with. Um I do think that's why obviously in sort of the space of people who've been trying to make really like um Volumetric content like movies that are caught volumetrically. That's why you have to have these spaces where there's just a hundred cameras like all around the the actor, which allows you to capture them in their complete you know 360 degree perspective. But then it's really problematic for if you're trying to like capture them against a backdrop or acting or you know doing other things because you they're basically in like a pod that's got cameras all around them. So some of these problems are I think difficult if not impossible to solve. But that is a feature that I think is going to be um, more exciting when people, more people get AVP in their hands.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right. I think, um, you know, they they showed off some, some demos with uh, like, I think it was Alicia Keys and some of the people that I've interviewed talked about how realistic it looked. And of course, Apple had made the acquisition with, um, forgot the name of the company, but they did, you know, stereoscopic 3D video capture. They're, they're the company that Apple, actually one of the first XR companies that they acquired first. Um, so they are using some tricks that, from what I hear, because of the array of cameras, are uh, capturing at different angles and they're able to combine it to kind of make it look quasi 3Ds. But yeah. to your point, if you're not capturing by looking all the way, you know, Basically, how you you know capture uh you know a lot of volumetric video on your phone today, where you're actually going around the object with right. physically with your phone, you're you're probably not going to want to do that with your AVP and without looking creepy. Well, and
1: even then, but... there's a time there's a timing issue, right? Like if I if all I want is like a 3D model of something, like I can go all the way around it and scan it all in. But if I want to capture a scene that's like in motion my camera can only be in one place at a time. So like for each sort of frame of that video, I'm still going to have that issue unless I'm doing what you do in a volumetric capture studio where I've got cameras from every angle capturing at the same time. And that's obviously not ever going to be possible with an AVP. So like, I, I think that there's always going to be some limitation to the amount of mobility that if you, what you're trying to do is capture that, capture a moment. The demo they showed in the AVP reveal was like a birthday party, right? Where there was mm-hmm. like kids blowing out a birthday cake. And like, I'm sure that looked amazing. My question is how much freedom do you have to try and experience the three dimensionality of that before you start to, it starts to break down.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think um, those are the things that are going to start being use cases that we'll start seeing pop up on Reddit, like of, of people, developers, getting the AVP and showcasing some of that stuff. What What, do you, what are your predictions, Ben, in terms of uh, the next several years, now that Apple's into the fray, uh, they're probably going to be tying in a lot of their ecosystem between like the heart rate monitor on your iWatch, panoramic photos from your iPhone. What are other predictions that you think are going to be pretty interesting that you see in the foresee future with, with XR and now that Apple's into the fold?
1: Well... Um, I guess I think that the the thing that I've heard a lot of people – one of the chief complaints I've heard about the AVP reveal was that there was really no – there was very minimal talk about VR in general, but certainly um, with regards to games and gaming. And um, I – I think that there's probably a few reasons for that. One of them is that, you know, VR gaming is a relatively well-established space at this point. So there's not as much for Apple to try and explain or show off in in that area, at least not at the moment. Um, And also, you know, games have always been something of an afterthought for uh, Apple. You know, they've never really led with gaming on any of their platforms. Um, And that's probably partly because that they know that the gaming market will show up and sort itself out after the fact anyway. The the big thing that um, a lot of people complained about that Apple completely excluded from the announcement was any kind of controllers or support for controllers. I think that was a very deliberate decision on their part to not scare people off and make them think that they're going to have to learn some complicated new user interface and that they'll be able to do everything really naturally and happily with their hands that's just not going to be a sufficient input device for um, really immersive games. Like the, like there are a number of reasons why you want to have a controller for gaming. And so that being said, you know, they have said that they don't have any plans to announce any controllers or support for any controllers. Um, but I would be shocked if they don't support a variety of um, third party controllers at some point, buy or shortly after launch because at that point it should be a relatively straightforward process of porting a VR game over to the Apple Vision Pro and then you've got this, you know, huge potentially addressable market of games and gamers. But at thirty two hundred dollars, it's just not gonna be it's just not gonna be that many units sold. But plus I, I read that they were having production issues and that their like production targets are down in the like three hundred K units range or something like that. So like it's gonna be a pretty slow takeoff for Apple Vision Pro. I think you'll see um a lot of pent-up demand at 300,000 units. If they if they were saying oh we're going to be able, we could ship 1 to 2 million, I'd be like, "Man, I don't know if they'll be able to make that many people want to buy it at $3,200." But at a few hundred thousand, I think that you'll you'll probably see it selling for more than its sticker price on the secondary market and stuff.
0: Yeah, they—they they, Apple has announced that they—they they don't have plans to support any controllers, but you know they do support Bluetooth. So I don't know yeah, why I don't, that would be no so that, much of a stretch. I don't
1: think. I—I I, honestly, I think if anything, if they are doing, and I wouldn't be shocked if they were doing some pretty clever things that make the entire VR experience better and better for gaming there's no advantage to them in revealing that yet, right? Like if this product doesn't come to market until the end of Q1 next year, all that they do by revealing anything they're doing that's innovative and cool is just give Samsung and Meta time to start copying it. And so like, I suspect that they will, um, if they have anything to announce, they'll just sit on it until it's much closer to release. Because like I said, VR is a reasonably well-established space at this point point. So, like, really, the focus of that presentation was on trying to tell people, like, we think we're solving AR and we think we're solving um, a lot of these sort of friction and quality of life problems that people have with these headsets in general. Um, You know, the other thing that's worth mentioning is, like, they didn't show AVP in any real out-of-home scenarios, Mm -hmm. which is understandable because nobody would be caught dead wearing that thing in public really um but at some point in the future there is this like huge theoretical out of home AR market right this idea of you being able to walk through the city with your sleek pair of glasses that just looks almost indistinguishable from a normal pair of glasses except you're getting this rich extra layer of information and content um i think we're this is clearly a step in that direction we're probably still a very long ways away from that from a hardware perspective but you know they're going to start to solve a lot of the interface and um and use problems that need to get solved for that reality to become real and and at some point down the line we have to assume that we'll get there you know
0: yeah i think um right now what what i'm most excited about and, and probably you as well you know Apple's entrance into the market basically states that in several generations we'll get to 10 millions of users yeah. uh and, and I think that's what's really exciting um,
1: for what, again, it, what I mean, I've believed I've believed that for a long time and and I think that you know there's a lot there's a lot of room for criticizing Facebook Meta and Mark Zuckerberg on a number of levels but I have to admit to a degree of respect around I I don't think Zuckerberg is wrong when he says that he thinks that this is going to be a, you know, a paradigm shifting technology. Um, He may be wrong in terms of how long it's going to take to get there. Um, And, and he may just ultimately be wrong, but I have a lot of respect for him uh, putting as firm of a, you know, stake in the ground around that as he clearly has with, Um, the rebranding of the company and the focus on, you know, the, the quest acquisition and the money that he's willing to spend investing in the meta, you know, quote unquote metaverse, which I think is a very problematic term at this point. But like this future is still, if it's not coming, it's not dead yet either. You know, the jury in my mind is out on whether or not humans will ever adopt this sort of spatial mixed reality computing platform. But like, i I respect Meta and Apple for investing in it um it's exciting, it's interesting, and you know we're still early in the story i think
0: and then you're you're in the space now from traditional gaming, just like myself, you know yeah. I think both of us really are enamored with technology. I think the understanding of like wow, this can really be a, a paradigm shift with. How we interact with technology, but at the same time, it's taking a lot longer than than most people anticipated. like any new technology, but where do you see games now progressing with XR? I mean, like right now I see like Sony with like Hubris that came out, which is like their AAA game. I see a lot of, like, quality content coming out, but there's not much distinction between the different headsets. It's almost like they're, they're all ports, or if you want to have a console experience because you have a PS5, uh, you get a PSVR. Um, I, I really hope that Apple can really change that trajectory and really introduce, like, MR or AR, the way they've been positioning it, you know, where people are actually interacting with the real-life, your real-life environment, but actually having digital content overlaid and interacting with. Where, where do you see, like, the 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 projection of games going now with with well, XR.
1: You know, it's funny. I'm gonna say something that I'm I, I you'll probably ten years from now be able to play this clip back and make me eat my words for saying this because it's um sort of a naysayer type of perspective that, you know, is easy to end up having been wrong about. But you know, I've been watching and I've been thinking about this space for a long time, and I haven't seen anything yet that has caused me to change my mind. And I and I haven't seen anything that's that's made me think, oh, I can envision something that would make me change my mind. And and that statement really comes down to the fact that I just don't think AR slash MR is exciting from a gaming perspective. And I'm saying this obviously from the perspective of a lifelong hardcore gamer, but Um, you know, every game I've ever played and enjoyed has benefited from having been created by game designers that were um, building a very specific experience that was meant to be experienced in a specific way. Um, And AR is on some level fundamentally incompatible with that, right? Like it, it, it is saying this is a, a way to experience content in an arbitrary sp- space or environment, right? Your home, your bedroom, your workstation, the outdoors, like you can't control as a developer where an AR experience and what that environment is going to be, where where it can happen and what that environment is going to be. And so I just don't see how the ability to sort of play a game in my home office or my bedroom and have that be the backdrop or the environment of the game is likely to improve any kind of game experience I've ever had. Right. And so um, I think VR is really powerful for games, um, but I think AR is not. And I think AR is really powerful for a whole bunch of non gaming applications. And um, VR is much less interesting for those things. And I think in the long term, the potential sort of market size and value of AR is likely to eclipse VR if the hardware can get there. But I doubt i like, if you want me to be like making easily disproven bold declarative statements, like my mind would be that like AR gaming is never going to be um, a big market. And, um, and that's just because I just can't imagine how, it improves the experience. Um, and I and that's, that, and that's a limitation of my imagination. There could be some genius kid out there who comes up with some type of game that you can play in anybody's bedroom that is just incredible and that you all want to have. But even then, is that going to be more than a niche genre of game or something like that? Like, it's not going to replace first-person shooters and historical turn-based strategy games and like all these other things that want to happen in an environment that, is designed and created and controlled by the game developer. So um, that's my, that's my like answer really when it comes to AR as a game, games medium, I just don't buy it yet, but I'd love to be proven wrong
0: well we'll we'll check back in 10 years i mean <laughs> okay. I, i've heard that i heard that before yeah. from other people because um you know people don't see like hey this is already a medium just like we consider film uh we we, we don't make films for for the real world and it's it's a total disconnect because it's about immersion but then at the same time like i'll, I'll mention outliers like you know pokemon right you got you know you got hundreds of you know tens of millions of people playing it and yeah, but the, at the but same the time it's its nobody, own thing the
1: thing that nobody talks about that is that nobody's playing pokemon go in ar anymore like everybody's still using the location-based features on it but nobody's like at a park running turning around with it their on phone yeah. in front of themselves you know like right. like it's not that's not what the like it just hasn't um There's just, why would you, right? Like who, (laughs) how does that make anything better? I Mm -hmm. think, I think is my, my core question. Like even, even if you imagine that the, like the final Holy grail that anyone's ever been able to envision of any of these medium is the holodeck from Mm -hmm. Star Trek, right? Like that's, that's where we all hope that all of these games technologies on some level are going as something that's completely immersive and convincing. And it's just like being there, like they don't do the holodeck in Picard's quarters. They do it in some other place that is exciting to be in. It's like, not about, you know, trying to have a holodeck. I mean, like that just would be sort of lame, you know? So mm. um, to me, it's still, you you know, the, the, the AR and VR are two sides of the same coin. Right. VR is about taking real-world people and moving them into virtual spaces. AR is about taking digital content and bringing it into the real world, right? And as long as you remember that those are what they're each respectively focused on, that tells you which one is going to be more interesting for something. And, like, I don't think that taking digital content into the real world makes games better anytime in the foreseeable future but i think that taking people into places they can't possibly be makes games really exciting so that's why vr is already a great gaming market and ar i just don't buy it
0: i get it we yeah. actually went full 360 on location based vr yeah and i know you got to go and i really appreciate your time man thank you so much for chatting with me
1: yeah no it's my pleasure thanks so much for having me and you know feel free to let me know if uh, if you want to talk again i'd be happy to
0: awesome where can people find you
1: Oh, I hide. I don't like being found. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, I would say, uh, I have a, a company, my company's 47 games. Um, people can, uh, I think the website is 47 games.com. Um, that's probably the best place to find me on the internet. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, other, other than that, I, I keep my digital footprint as small as I can make it. So, um, yeah.
0: Awesome. Ben, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Love you, man. Thanks, Talk dude. to you later. Yeah, you too. Take See care. Ya. Bye. Bye. All right. Awesome. That's it. That was great, man. You're fantastic. <laughs> thank Thanks, you. Ben. Thank you. Uh,
1: <laughs> I'm going to turn my air conditioner back on. Yeah, you're probably slowly, slowly up. melting over here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was great. I thought it moved uh, really naturally and um, a lot of good things stuff i hope it all made sense and seemed. oh yeah i already
0: know what the clips i'm gonna use for tiktok so that's okay fantastic. great great
1: i make sure obviously <laughs> um it's not 100 percent true that i have no digital footprint but like i've got all my shit turned off so like if you don't know my email address you can't add me on facebook you can't add me on linkedin yeah, yeah. but um i would love to you know push some of this, you know, it's like if there's a video or a clip or something like that, that I can share on my LinkedIn or whatever, definitely let me know. I'll do I'll, that. Yeah. I'll get it out there to my huge audience and following. Of Hell people yeah. Who can't find me. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's cool. No, you're great. I, I really liked uh, some of the ideas, and you kept them really short, and you you kept them really good sound bites, and it was really thought provoking too. You great. brought up a lot of shit that I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. That that is something new. Yeah. So I think uh, it, it's gonna definitely get some interest. Thanks, man. Thanks. Layout, I, uh,
1: let me know. Yeah, obviously, whenever it's available. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll promote it. And then, you know, I'd love to hear what feedback you get or anything like that. So.
0: no um, Nobody gets feedback. I think, you know, you know how it goes. Like yeah, it just yeah. goes in the ether, get get a couple of likes, but really this is a, a vehicle. Well, first of all, it's cool. Like yeah, I want to yeah. talk to it's you fun. and, it's and hang out. Yeah. But secondly, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, gunning, gunning for Apple. I'm going to start working with those
1: guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For so, sure. Yeah. Let me know, yeah. you know, how it goes and um, you know, maybe, maybe you'll, be able to pull me along with you some point. So,
0: Dude, you know, I told you, what did I ask? I asked um who told me that you're the best producer that they've ever worked with. Remember no, I, I don't told know you that? who
1: told you that. I want to hear about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who told, remember I talked to you when I was at, it, it was at, it was at, uh, I think I was at Aptos, but I talked to someone. I said, I need to hire a game producer. Remember I was like, dude, you come over, you know, you're like, yeah. I don't know. We just joined this company. Yeah, no. Jesus. Who did I talk to? Someone said that. And that's why I called you and mm-hmm. I said, dude, I try to recruit you. But, you know. Yeah. No, I do talk. remember. And... That was
1: like three years ago or something like that. But. Um, <laughs> Who was that? I wish I knew. Uh, it nerd poker. Yeah. Was nerd poker. I mean, I like to think I'm a pretty good producer, man. I'm not going to lie. I think I'm good at this. But uh... Who in
0: nerd poker did you work, did we work with?
1: Just <laughs> killing me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know.
0: know. It'll come up. I'll I'll think about it um, tonight when I'm about to sleep. (laughs)
1: Yeah, text me. But uh, thanks a bunch. When do you think this is going to be – when are you going to have it like chopped up and do something with it? Mm,
0: Hopefully – well, I I filmed a whole bunch of these. I've just been releasing them slowly once a week. I've just released two. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm releasing them every week. But probably next week I'll release yours and then I'll probably just start dropping all of them. (laughs) This is going to be kind of old talking about Who else are are you talking to? Uh, from nerd poker, that's it. Everyone else is just a bunch of developers. Yeah. You, know, um,
1: you should talk to McGowan. If you want to talk about that, um, virtual production stuff, like he's a fucking yeah? perfect contact for that. Dude, um, I'll do that. Cause, uh, like I didn't want to, I wasn't sure how much I'm supposed to say. So you could tell I kind of was a little cagey about details on that, but like he's just getting ready to bring that tech to market. And, um, like I do think it's got pretty exciting potential. Um, and uh, I didn't want to say too much about it, but definitely like if you want to do anything about virtual production, he's a great resource for that. Um, and then, uh, you know, I mean, Nerd Poker is full of really interesting people. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that that w- is there is the overarching like w- what's your plan for the show? Is it like going to be an ongoing thing or is it like just a series that you're doing or like? Yeah,
0: this is just kind of like for sh- like so I'm just pulling out old bags of old tricks like yeah. the first time around Samsung highlighted it on their gear and then I worked for them. Yeah. And I'm doing the same thing like hey, I I'm putting this together kind of like a time capsule of what's happening in VR. So it's an ongoing thing, you know, and I thought it was time to do one. And yeah. then I'm I'm already like talking to Apple right now yeah, yeah. with some of the other projects. So Cool. You know, it's just kind of like my bag of tricks. I I, I like to bring people who are my friends into their you yeah. know, forefront so they pay attention to them. And at the same yeah. time, I get in there. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I
1: love it. I mean, because everybody, is, especially because I'm job hunting right now, everybody's like, you need to be doing more, like, thought leadership content on your LinkedIn and everything. And I'm like, fuck, that's so exhausting. So, like, yeah, this is, like, such a great way to get some of that stuff out there because it's, like – You know, I just show up and talk, and then and then it happens. So that's great,
0: Ben. You have no excuse, dude. You have so much information in your head, and you have ChatGPT, dude. Come on, man. (laughs) I know it's true. You write a freaking blog post every other week. Come on, Ben.
1: I just honestly like I have imposter syndrome, man. Like I don't know what I have that isn't interesting. Ben, you're
0: awesome. No, dude. No, that's all wrong. (laughs) That's all wrong. That's all right. You have no excuse. You have. I need a producer.
1: I need like someone to produce me. That's what I really need. You
0: know, no, no. Chat GBD, dude. I do everything you know how effective and more faster. Like I've got like I'm advising for two different companies. I'm yeah. creating this podcast thing. Uh like dude, it just it's just a game changer now. Yeah, you could be the most laziest who who I think I'm pretty lazy, like, yeah. but it, i have no excuse. I just hear the top level, you know, it democratizes uh you know, being CEO, like it democratizes, like having employees, like yeah. all I do is like do it like this. No, that was wrong. Yeah, Do it like that. You know, what and I you're, haven't you're...
1: figured out with it is the back and forth. So I've used chat GPT a few times and it has been incredibly powerful. Um, I told you one of them, uh, which is for creating job descriptions, which I think it was like, a like that's right. We enormous, had the conversation, enormous yeah, light yeah, yeah. bulb that went on where I was like, Oh my God, this is just so much better than having to write a job description the old way. Um, and then I used it to write, uh, like what's effectively a blog post, but it was for a client that was just for internal consumption. And it was about like, what are the different levels of visual fidelity in video games? And I was like, this is like a question that like, I could spend the next, you know, four hours or more on, like try and write up or I could just like ask chat GPD to do it and then edit it for 20 minutes and be done. And it was fucking great. Cause that's exactly how it worked. And I grabbed some images and dropped them in, cleaned up what it said. And I was like done with it. Um, but, uh, I, what I haven't figured out is like how to like go back and forth with it to like really effectively massage something to get it where I want it in terms mm. of editing it. Like that's the thing to me that I think is the big opportunity in AI.